looking at you weirdly. I've got a new contact and I've got it in. First time ever wearing a contact and my, my brain is adjusting. So sometimes it's weird because like I was literally could see nothing out of this eye. So my brain had to adjust to use this eye. So now it's like can't figure out which depth to use the other eye. So sometimes I'll look at someone and have to, it's weird. But um, if I give you a weird look, it's not because I'm, for no other reason than the fact that I've got a new contact in. <laughs> um, the reason the um, topic of rain is important is because for years in the charismatic church, we've talked about God raining down and we've asked him, you know, God rain down, send your rain, send your glory. Um, but we, we've missed the piece of it that the rain comes from within us. And just as the rain cycle on earth, it, it's lifted out of us in evaporation so he can pour it down. And it's, it's illegal for us to ask um, for God to send his rain without being a sufficient source of water. I mean, it's just, that, that's just logical thinking. That if we're going to ask him to rain, we have to become a source so that he can draw out of us. Because if he made us the vessels of his kingdom, why are we expecting him to transform the world through any other source but his vessels? He partnered with us. If, if he wanted to just come and make everyone righteous, he could have been a robot and made us all serve him. But he didn't. He chose to partner with those who would partner with him. It's a union. It's, it's I'm an heir of Christ. And through that, what's in me, what he's placed in me, that he's placed the treasure that is the kingdom of God. He's placed that inside of me. And it's my job to live in such a way that I'm a flowing river where he draws up out of me and releases it to the world. See, what happens when the whole congregation comes together and we're all sources of flowing water? There's... um. Revival that's been going on for almost six years in Carolina that I attend. Um, it's just a small congregation. You know, I, I say small, about 500 people. But um, it's a small, tiny church. Tiny church compared to most churches. Man, like you, you drive and you go back and it's literally back seated in the woods in a town smaller than Irvin. And people come from all over the world. Um, and they just have revival. You know, it's not a... It's not an everyday thing. It's, every, it's the first um, weekend of every month. And what I've learned from that is it's, it's, it's a relatively hidden thing. But everyone that comes is, is a source of water almost. You don't go to see this man. While there is a, a, a very good speaker there, it's not his presence of being there that creates revival. It's the fact that everyone comes hungry and full. Equally hungry as they are full. Releasing and feeding. See, the thing about the kingdom is you can be hungry and full at the same time. In fact, you're supposed to be. Because the more, the more you eat, the more you realize what's left and what he has for you. And the hungrier you get for it. See, if we want to see sustained revival, we have to be sources of water and we cannot expect a pastor to bring it. We cannot expect the minister from 
Uganda to come who've seen the fire of God fall over there to bring it here. No, we just have to become sources. If he, he's given us all we need for life and godliness. He's given us all we need. He's created us and set us above all. The only thing that keeps us back from revival is our inability to see what he's placed in us. That's simply it. So when we cry, God, send revival, we miss the point. We miss the point if we don't, under, if we don't understand that he's looking back at you and saying, it's already in you. Just start releasing it so I can work with it. Start filling yourself with this in the secret place so that when you go out in public, you become a source of revival. What did Jesus say? If you seek him in private... Glorify you in public. See, what the, what, what the church is supposed to be is a place of edification where we build up the body of Christ. Where we come here, and, and this isn't the first time we've gotten before God in our week. In fact, it's the, culmin, or it's the beginning where we're, we start here and then we go throughout the week and it's this continual place of feeding from God. No doubt that this is a significant place of that because this is where we, we get fed and we get taught. But if this is your only source, if this church is your only source, you will never live a triumphant life. Your triumph comes from the moments alone with God when you learn how to have victory. When you learn how to win in the secret place. The dark night of the soul. When you learn how to go through the times that aren't always so lovely and sweet and still have victory in those. That's revival. And then we become a living representation of the king. That he had victory, sweet victory, the night he was going through the cross. Is that not a perfect picture? The Christian life is not a life where you never face struggle and, and, and hard, hard things. It, the Christian life is a place where you look to Jesus to see how you go through those. Yeah. And a lot of us get stuck because we believe Jesus is just supposed to take the trouble away from life. And then a week later we leave the conference and we're on fire for God and boom, trouble comes. And we revert and we retreat because we didn't... We didn't look at the life of Jesus and saw how he handled it. And you would think I'm going to talk about how Jesus handled it today, but I'm not. That was just a... <laughs> it was just a beginning because I felt the Lord kind of saying that after what he showed me up there about that. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians today, um, chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Y'all know how I like to do it, so we're going to read a lot of, lot of Scripture today, and we're just going to talk about it. Because that's just what he's got me in right now when I speak. It's... You know, I, I think the reason he's got me doing that is because I want to learn for us not to rely on the words of a pastor and the words of a preacher, but for us to rely on this. I'm not, I'm not up here trying to give you my, um, my cool version of this. I'm just giving you this, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, this is one of my, we're going to start in one of my favorites passages of scripture but notice when, when when you're reading the bible and we have chapters 
Like, a lot of times we read the chapter and then we think, oh, the next chapter is something different. Well, when this was actually written, there were no chapters. The letter, it was just a letter. So when you get finished with chapter 2 and go on to chapter 3, remember chapter 3 is just a run-on from 2. Like, it's not this different, um, it doesn't, it, it carries the same type of information. So when you read chapter 2, chapter 3 is going to be the building on top of that. And so on. And that's how we read the Bible. I think a lot of times chapters mess us up. Um, but for the sake of today, we're just going to be starting in chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the, ones, to the one we are an aroma of death leading to death, death, and to the other we are an aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient of these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but, uh, but as of sincerity... But, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now, I'm going to read this out of the Passion because I love how it words it. Um, this is incredible. God always makes His grace visible in Christ, who includes us as partners of His endless triumph. Through our yielded lives, He spreads the fragrance of, his knowledge, of the knowledge of God everywhere we go. We have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the Anointed One, a perfume of life to those being saved and an odor of death to those who are perishing. The unbelievers smell a deadly stench that leads to death, but believers smell the life-giving aroma that leads to abundant life. And, he, and who of us can rise to this challenge? For unlike so many, we are not peddlers of God's Word the, who water down the message, who are we are those sent from God with pure motives who speak in the sight of God from our union with Christ. You know, the, the, I notice that it says He always leads us in triumph. Always. So the first thing I would like to statement, if you're not in triumph, it's because you're not following His lead. Simple. That, that's simple. We don't get to blame our failure on God. He always leads us into triumph. Always. What, I love how the passion words that it's our yielded life. See, we, we don't get to form our own ideas of what God wants us to do, then go carry them out and watch them fail and blame that on God. If our, fail, our failure is always a lack of yielding. It's always, anytime we're in failure, it's that we are lacking the, the appropriate um, proximity to the Father. Because if we are in intimate relation with the Father, triumph is literally a secondary consequence in every part of life. Everywhere we go, we are triumphant. It doesn't stop there. It says that He diffuses the fragrance of Himself through us. Of death, a, a, a smell of death for those who are perishing and a a fragrance of life to those who are um, going on to eternal life. No, what's that saying? He, he's not saying that we present a different smell or a different um, a different presence to because um, that's what Paul's saying in this that the, the presence of God on us that that the presence of God on us is is leading to life and to those who see us that are dying it, it, it's leading to perish. 
But what's he saying in that? He's not saying that we have this different spirit to those who are perishing and a different spirit to those who are living. It's not at all what he's saying. I think a lot of time we read that and we get the judgmental thing in us and we're like, oh, well, this means that I need to condemn him that's perishing and build up who's living. It's not it at all. It's not it at all. What he's saying is that my triumphant life in Christ is so, it's so powerful to the world around us that those who see me and have Christ say this is what I can have and those who see me who don't have Christ say this is what I don't have. It's all it is. And what that does bring is a conviction that shows them the dying state that they're in. But it is not in any way that we change our actions toward those who don't know Christ. That's a Pharisee. And if you do that, that shows you don't actually know Christ. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but it does mean that you, are, you haven't sufficiently come to know the Savior this book talks about. We are to be an aroma, and to carry the presence of the living God to every single place we go. Everywhere. No excuses. And I'm not perfect at it, but I'm growing. You're not perfect at it, but we're growing into this thing. Um, we're going to go on chapter 3. Um, and this is all comes full circle. Like At the end, you're going to see how like the chapters are almost pointless because it's all full circle. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendations to you or letters of commendations from you? You are our epistle written in the hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. That's so powerful. What's Paul saying in this? He's saying that the, the letter of verification is not this. It's the transformation that comes by this. The real epistle is not the fact that we read this and gain knowledge about God. It's the fact that we read this and get transformed through the knowledge of God. It's what... It's that this begins to get written on our hearts. It's not that we read that, he's a, that, that we are to be a fragrance. It's that we become the fragrance. Because we've, for years we've read we become the fragrance and then we go to our, to our churches and we talk about it and we leave and we're nothing like we talk about. And you know what happens? A dying world sees you and says, I don't want to be like you. Because you live just like me. You just talk about something I don't talk about. But your life doesn't carry those actions. And Paul's saying the real mark of someone who's filled with the Spirit, the real mark of someone who's called by God is the fact that when they speak it brings transformation. He didn't need a letter from someone else verifying his apostleship. His verification was the fact that their lives in Corinthian was completely transformed. The mark of a true church is the fact that its people are being transformed. 
Question any church you go into that does not see any form of transformation. Because he might not be there. And that's, that's just, that's Bible. That, that, if he's there, you should see transformation. At least conviction. It might not transform you the first time, but you, you should leave with a form of conviction in your life. That this is not who I am. And that conviction is not to ever bring shame. We get into that in a minute. And we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, of the letter... Let me read that again. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What's that saying? You can read this and still die if the Spirit is not sufficiently transforming you. And what's Paul saying? This is a bold, great statement by Paul. He's literally saying, I'm not sufficient for any of this. It's not... See, I've, I've got friends that I um, mentor, and one of the things that will come up a lot is, I can't do this because I, um, I don't feel like I'm sufficient to do that yet. I don't feel like I'm, you know, at the point where, you know, I, I need to be doing this. I need to be, um, you know, leading this Bible or doing this or stepping out into this area of ministry. And the fact is that your sufficiency is only from Him. So if you buy into the lie that you make yourself sufficient, that sufficiency is always corruptible. So you'll fail, in a, you'll, you'll have one moment of failure and think you can never stand up and preach the gospel again because you get into works-based thinking. My sufficiency is only from Him. It's the fact that He created me a vessel to hold His goodness. And I'm going to step out and speak about that even if I failed the night before. Because the fact is that He's transforming me day by day by day. Not by our own sufficiency, but by God. And when we understand that failure becomes, it, it fades away. We, we fail much less when we understand that our own sufficiency doesn't come from our successes or failures. I told my buddy, I said, um, the problem with thinking you're defined by anything other than Christ is that when you're succeeding, Yes, it's a good feeling and you feel worthy. But the moment you fail, you think it's over. But when you're defined by Christ, when you're defined by the fact that He's adequate, you never have to feel unworthy. Ever. In fact, we, the, the only thing I need to tell me that I'm worthy is the fact that He went to the cross. Think about it. If I give you a month, uh, um, an amount of money for something you have, what's that tell you? It's worth that amount of money. He gave his life, on the, that tells me that I'm worth his life. I might not deserve it, but he sure thought we were worth it. We might not think we deserve it. In actuality, we probably don't. We, we don't, don't. We don't, but the fact that he placed a value on us is the only thing that can define me. That's it. 
Anything else is air. Anything else. And I know that sounds like good, it, it, it's almost good Christianese until we put it into practice. Until we put it into practice that we walk out through life and when we see the, the addict or the, um, the guy who's sleeping around, the guy who could care less about the atheist, that we don't see them as insufficient people. We see them as people who are lost vessels in need to be filled with His love. Because I can know the letter my whole life, but if I'm not sufficiently filled with the Spirit, if the Spirit is not sufficiently filled in me, I'll never change a thing. I'll sit in a church and preach for the rest of my life to people who know the gospel but are just going to heaven without, without transforming a thing. And that's not enough. I'm about to see if that's not enough. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture we're about to get into. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in, his, in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Okay, so what that's talking about is the old covenant, the, the covenant written on stones, the commandment. What, see, what, what he's saying when he says that, that that was passing away and that it was less glorious is because the only thing that that covenant was able to do was to tell you you were a sinner. It was the ministry of condemnation that when you looked at the Ten Commandments or the Levitical order or the, uh, any of that, that you would see that and you would say, I'm an utter failure, and it would bring condemnation on you. And Israel had to go about all these different ways of symbolically removing their sin which always led them to error. find an interesting point, a little side note, that the scapegoat, do we all know what the, um, the scapegoat was? That they would symbolically place their sin on the scapegoat and they would send it out and they would kill it and it would be the, um, which is a beautiful picture of Jesus. But what did they start doing? They started worshiping the goat. So now we have a symbol of demonic power in the world is a goat. You know, I just find that interesting. But, what happened was in that old ministry that condemned you, Moses had to veil himself partially due to the shame of looking on something so glorious that he could never live up to. He caught a glimpse of God and realized how glorious he was and said, and in condemnation, he says, I can never be that. The new covenant came to remove the condemnation and transform us unto righteousness. Because the old lacked the Spirit of God, the Spirit of transformation. So what Paul is saying is that that old covenant, yes, it was glorious because it had a much-needed part of condemning of sin. But it lacked the part that actually fixed the problem. It just condemned you. The new covenant... <laughs> It looked at that condemnation and said, okay, now I'm just going to transform your life and you're going to be made righteous. He imputed the life of God, the only life that is actually able to abide by the old covenant and imputed it to us. 
And we are made righteous through that. So it goes on and it says, um, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because, of the veil, um, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil, remain, or a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the, Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want to stop and I want to really focus on this. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we sing about this, and we make really good songs about it. But almost what we do is we say, God, you've got to show up. You've got to show up and bring freedom. But where is his spirit? What's that mean? Everywhere we go, what happens? Liberty. I don't need to say, God, you gotta, you just gotta. No, He's in me. And if you really believed He was in you, you wouldn't have to pray. Oh, God, you gotta come, because He's already come. He's already come. He, what did He say? It's good that I go, so that I can send the Helper to dwell inside of you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Spirit of the Lord is in you. That means everywhere we go, we should be producing liberty. Let that, let that sit. No condemnation for those who aren't producing liberty. This is just literally, this is a call to more. Like, this should make you happy. That we can walk out and actually see liberty. Guys, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life at times. This is not in arrogance at all, but I, I've literally walked in the houses of people and watched atheists fall on the floor in tears. I, I've seen it. People be drawn to something that I didn't even at the time honestly know was on me that, like that. Like, like that, that there would be times where I would spend time in the presence of God. I would leave, not even have Him on my mind, and people would be attracted and notice and automatically just want to come talk about this thing. People who did not believe. You have that in you. That's not something for the, the, the pastor or the preacher or the evangelist. That's something for the everyday believer. The problem is we've got to cultivate it. We have to sit under, we have to sit at his feet and say, Father, make me into this. Because I'm not this right now. I'm not where I want to be. But Father, I know you are sufficient in me. <clears throat> um, Damon Thompson tells a testimony he's been telling for years and it's really impacted me. He said that one time when he was traveling, there was a time where he was traveling from Florida to Tennessee um, weekly doing these massive revivals and he, he would, while he was driving, before he would go into a gas station, he would begin to pray, and he would begin to pray into spirit until he felt like the Lord was on him to the degree that was tangible. And he would go in, and he said sometimes it would fail, and then sometimes these things would happen, and people would look at him and just say, who are you? And, but the, he said in one of the moments, he walks in, and what happens was a senator is in that, and a senator walks up to him and says, who are you? 
And what, what ended up happening was a blind man who had been outside sitting on the corner ends up getting 100% restored vision. He, walk, he, get, he says he gets a blue Gatorade and he walks, I'm, you'll see why I'm telling the story. He walks out into the car with his blue Gatorade and he pours it over a cup of ice. And the Lord spoke to him and said, is the cup full? And he said, yes. And the Lord said, no. And he, he said his response was, what do you mean? And he said that, the only way you can ever know if the cup is full is if what's on the inside is pouring onto the outside. That impacted me. I remember I, I was a freshman in high school, and now I'm graduated, so it was a long time ago, when I, heard, when, when I heard him say that. That what's on the inside of us begins to pour onto the outside. It's already in us. It's already in us. It's already beginning to transform you. I'm looking at in the faces of people who are already being transformed. But there's coming a time where it's going to begin to pour all over you. That you're not going to be able to go outside and not have things happen and not have transformation come. That you're just going to begin to walk in the stores and you're going to see people literally give themselves over. Um, the, uh, the story of Charles Finney, they said he would used to walk, literally he would walk into towns and villages to do revivals and the school kids would just start repenting, not even knowing he came because of what was in him. And he recognized what was in him to the point that he cultivated it that it flew, overflowed out of him. He sat in the presence of God and let what was in him overflow. We're not just to be vessels. We're to be vessels that gush with the Spirit of God that brings liberty. Sets the captives free. A lot of times in church what we do is we place all that on Jesus when Jesus lives in you. And it makes for really good messages, but it produces almost no freedom. None. But when we understand that what was in Jesus Christ dwells in our mortal body. Imagine the type of freedom we could walk in. Not just we could walk in, that we could bring about. Now, his, the next statement, this is equally as profound. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Remember, the old covenant brought condemnation. The old covenant was the law that brought condemnation. The new covenant, the lot of Jesus Christ, brings transformation. Condemnation over here, transformation right here. See, Moses had to put a veil on himself because of the shame of what he was not. What, what we're seeing here is that the veil is to be removed so that the... Sh so that the light of what we are not begins to transform us and we become what we are not. It says, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about now. Think about all he said up until then. And then he's culminating this in that all of this, what we see in Jesus, can be we can be transformed into that same image. 
That's when we become the living epistle. That's when we're not just reading good scriptures that we can post on our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and have a good day. No, we're becoming the scripture. We're becoming 2 Corinthians 3.18, the mirror that reflects the glory of God, that absolutely transforms us. We're becoming that. And you're probably not there yet. That's okay. Keep pursuing Him. Keep pursuing Him. Three months ago, many of you in here, and myself included, were not where we are today. We might only be three steps ahead, but it's the process of moving forward. It's the process of growing in Him because we have a foundation that can be built on. It will not crumble. It's a solid rock. You can build as high as you want and it will not crumble. With Him is the chief cornerstone. I think a lot of times the fact that the the lack of a building on our foundation, the lack of moving forward comes from the fact that we have an insufficient trust in Him. The, the fact that we hold back and we say, I know this sounds good, I know this church thing is, looks really good, but I'm, we, we, we're, we're skeptical and we're, we, we stay one foot in, one foot out because we don't sufficiently trust that He's a good foundation. Because so many of us have been let down and have um, crumbled under what we built on. That many of us built our, built our lives on things that aren't so bad. But they all crumble. And when you build on anything other than Christ, you will be let down. I'm, I'm here to tell you that the failure of your structure that came when you built on an insufficient foundation is not the failure, it, or it, it, it will not happen on Christ. Will not. Amen. He's firm, he's solid, and he's good. Amen. He will not condemn you when your foundation is this tall. Keep building. Amen. Keep on building. We all start somewhere. Amen. We don't all just get saved and look just like Jesus the next day. I wish we did. That'd be great. That would be, would it not? But it doesn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way in Peter. Peter didn't meet Jesus and then become the saint that we know him to be. He, became, he met Jesus and had a whole lot of ups and downs. Funny, he would literally, he is the one who declared Jesus to be the Christ. And right afterwards, Jesus is calling him Satan. So there's no condemnation in this message that, that, oh, but I'm, well, Caleb, I'm not there, and I, you know, I don't know, I'm just, I'm struggling someday. There's no condemnation in that, but keep growing. Keep pursuing this thing. Keep getting in this, and keep living in this, and keep, keep believing. Keep having faith on the foundation, because he's good. And we have people in this room who are living proof that this is a solid rock. You're not where you're going to be in five years. But you're a whole lot farther than you were five years ago. 
or even five months ago. And that relates for him and him and me and everyone in here. No matter how mature we are in Christ, there's always room to grow. And there is no condemnation when you aren't there, when you're not where I am. And I might not be where you are, but there's no condemnation in that because he's literally growing us at our own, at our own pace. And maybe, maybe you're not going as fast as I am, but that's okay because he's a good father. And a lot of times we don't recognize that. I had a dear friend of mine one time, he, he messaged me and he, he said, like, I just don't feel like I'm deep enough. And my response was that we're in a bottomless ocean. So depth is relative. You might be two feet deep. I might be 500 feet deep. fact is, I'm no closer to the bottom than you are because we ain't getting there. And when you realize that, I think there becomes a freedom to grow, a freedom to pursue, a freedom to swim, and although you may fail, you keep on going. Yes. Because there, the end goal is Christ, and we're not getting there till we meet Him one day. But we can go as far as we can until we die. That's right. We can grow in this covenant. That... that that in our failure, He will not drop us, and that should free you to be you and to pursue. Because the part of you that holds back is not who He created you to be. It was a lie placed on you by a world who did not understand the gospel. A world that says, yeah, I know you're on fire right now, but hold off on this thing. It might not be as good, you know, it might not be as good as it says because we've lived our life and we've experienced things that don't seem to be as good as people say. And we climbed to the mountaintop and it just wasn't as good there as as they told us. So we think, but but it's it's 100% different with the gospel. 100%. Keep on pursuing All right, move on to chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, do not lose heart. But we renounce the hit. Oh, so good. But we renounce the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus and ourselves, your bondservant, or, and, and ourselves, your bondservants for Christ Jesus' sake, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is this saying? Um, Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart in in trials and, and failures. Because we've received mercy. And then he says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Renouncing the hidden things of shame. What did we say that the old covenant brought about? Condemnation and shame. 
we renounce the condemnation that came by our past life. We understand that we are simply vessels of His goodness. Not perfect, but made righteous by Him. That means we don't, we don't have to distort this word to make us sound better. Listen to what Paul is saying. We aren't those who handle the Word of God in craftiness. You don't need to make this thing sound any better than it already is. Right. Just live it. Amen. That's what Paul is saying here. There were probably people in his day that were using the Word and distorting the, the, the Gospel for own self-gain, for own to, to make it sound better, to make it cover up their own faults. But what he's saying is you don't need to handle this craft craftily. You don't need to distort it. It is what it is. You speak the goodness of God into every situation and it has to bring about transformation in you and in others. And when you're not there, it came by mercy anyway, so don't fret. When you have the bad day, remember it didn't come because you had the good day yesterday. It came only by mercy and grace. Not lest any man should boast. What's in you did not come by you. This word did not come by you. I think this is why I've begun reading and, and teaching like this and just going from Scripture to Scripture. is because I want you to see what this is saying and I don't even, I don't even want my opinion to have any type of hold on it. Because I think in this is transformation to everyone. And if I begin to distort it in any way, shape, form, or fashion, it's going to lose the power that it was meant to have. The greatest thing I could ever do in front of you is sufficiently live it. Sufficiently walk it. Because if you see that I'm transformed, that gives you hope for your own transformation. I love this, this part of the scripture. Everyone knows this next part. It's so good. Um, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. We're going to stop right here. Um, this treasure in earthen vessels, what's that mean? Vessels made of dust. Vessels, the, the vessels made of the ground. Nothing special in and of ourself. We're not better than each other. We're, not, we're, we're only special because He called us His own, because He put His image on us. But it says that, but the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Again, this takes all the pressure off you. It doesn't have to come by your excellence. I promise you, if you quit trying to lie about yourself, and if you just say, Father, I'm broken. I'm messed up. Change me. Have your way with me. I'll be your vessel. Mold me. God, the prayer I used to pray, and I still do, it's the most dangerous prayer you'll ever pray. Promise. God, more of you at any cost. Whatever you have to do, whatever you have to cut away, begin to cut. Because it's not of me. The excellence is of you. And if I begin to produce a facade of excellence in and of myself, it will land and it will bear no fruit. Because it's a lie. Amen. 
any form of excellence you hear coming from any teacher of the Word of God that isn't grounded in Him only will land and die because it's not real seed. And I think in America we've had a lot of that, and that's why we've had a lot of people leave a lot of conferences with no fruit. Because we lived off another man's, not even truth, his lie that he was something that he was not. That's why it's so important to be ministers and in the ministry that we be transparent of our own failures while at the same time saying he is sufficient to transform everything in me. To rearrange everything he needs to rearrange in me. I'm telling you today, there is nothing different or special on me and in my life that you can't walk in. The only difference between me and someone else is maybe that I've spent more time in this and at his feet that it's transformed me to a degree that you have not been yet because you don't have the experience in this. But it is not because I'm God's man of power for the hour that separates you're there and I'm here. I don't need to stand on this pedestal to be above you. No. We're all, what did we learn a few weeks ago? We're all seated in Christ in heavenly places. Everyone who believes, same playing field. I might have a different calling than you. My calling might be this and yours might be something 100% different. But in that, you can, do, in, you can live in your calling as transformed unto God just as I can live in my calling as transformed unto God. And this... Is, this becomes no more significant than that, even if your calling is to open the door on a Sunday. Because the odds are you're going to get to face more people than I'm going to get to face. You get to see everyone coming through that door. I hope that brings conviction to I'm not going to lie. It brings it on me. I hope everyone leaves with the conviction that there's so A lot of times we like to blame God for what we do not have when we don't understand that He's literally saying it's in you. You need to get before me so I can bring it out of you. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, Always caring about the body, um, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also be, may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since you have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with, with you. For all things we are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through, through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God." Persecuted but not forsaken. Going back a little bit. just Persecuted but not forsaken. 
struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. What's that a picture of? Let's go back a whole lot of verses. Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph. What is triumph? Remember the beginning, triumph. He always leads us to triumph. What is triumph? Shining forth the light of his gospel in the midst of every single trial and situation. It's not, triumph is not walking and walking out in life and never seeing hardships. It's shining in the midst of hardships. It's when the enemy comes to crush that we can't be crushed. Because what because when our vessel gets crushed, the fragrance of him comes out. Amen. When we're persecuted, we just keep shining the light of his glorious gospel on every flesh. You can't stop someone sufficiently yielded to this. What's Paul saying? You can crush me, or you can try to crush me, you can persecute me, you can forsake me, you can come against me, but you're not going to keep me from shining. That strips away every single lie that you have that says you need to be offended. Offense is not from God. Someone, someone talks about you behind your back. You are not to be offended. Because he was not offended. He had every single right to be offended. Every right. You have no right. Because the fact that someone might mistreat you, persecute you, come to crush you just proves that they don't know him. And if you know him, you would know that that means they don't know him and they need to see your light shine in the midst of that. That's real. And I know that's hard because we all fail at that. Every one of us. And we can admit that. But we can admit we're growing. We can admit that where we want to be is offenseless people. You can stab me in the back. And it's just going to prove you don't know him. And I'm just going to prove I do know him. And because I know him, you're going to see what it looks like to know him. And it's going to begin to convict you and change you and transform you. Because again, it's not the word I speak. It's the life I lived. And if I can't back up what I speak here, you have no reason to listen to me. What he said earlier, if the Corinthian church could not back up what he said by the fact that they were being transformed and that they were listening to a man who had been transformed, then they didn't, then the letter's just going to kill. But the Spirit gives life. We're almost done. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man being renewed day by day. For the light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We're going to stop right here. And my, my last thing is all, all trouble, all life can do is decay this and it's it's a fact it, it happens you know I'm about to turn 20 seems like yesterday I was 14 um, but all that can ever happen is this begins to, it, it's it's the 
Upside, it, it, the kingdom of God is upside down. As you're decaying, your inward man is growing. Stronger and stronger. Waiting the day when we actually see him face to face and we're actually made just like him. But I'm not settling for that. When I'm 90, I don't want, I want people to say, that man knows Jesus. That man is living a life that shows 80 plus years of Christ in him. That's what I want to be said about me. Not that he broke a record on basketball that in actuality means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Glad I could do it. You know the, you know the greatest thing that came out of that? I got to speak on TV and talk about my Jesus and thousands got to watch it. I was at the regional tournament again this year. I went to support us and I literally listened. And this is, again, nothing to do with me, but I listened to people talking about the kid who did the video in front of me, not knowing I was sitting behind him. I got a, because the life you live, it shows, it shines out. And there's no doubt there's people seeing me not live that. But I'm growing into that. And every day as I go outside, I get to put my mind on what He's called me to be, which is a son of God, and I get to be an heir in all things. I get to be my father's son, and I'm, He's never going to let me down. He's never going to fail me. I have no pressure to fit the mold because He's just doing it for me. That's... That's the lovely thing about yielding. When you yield, you're just giving up. And I know that sounds like, again, good Christian talk, but I promise you. And to a lot of you, it doesn't, because a lot of you know what that's like. You're beginning to know what that's like. So many people in this room are beginning to know what that's like. And that's what it's all about. Yielding and transforming, yielding and transforming. If I gave you any other message, this is, this is literally all you need. You can hear this, you can walk away, it's a good message, or you can go and allow it to transform. That's all I got. Father, right now we just thank you for the vessels you're turning us into, God. That you're molding us into a vessel that can sustain and hold your goodness and hold your glory, Father. And even in our failure, even in the times we mess up and we, we crack the mold, Father, that you're molding us back and that you're working all things together. Even our failures, you're working together. You're working it in us. You're working greatness in us, Father, because you love us and you want us to know you and be transformed by you, God. I ask that not a single heart would leave here without being convicted and without being to some degree transformed by the word that you're speaking this morning, Father. That the word that you spoke in, 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 in the precious Bible, Father. That the word that came through Paul that I read and is now coming through me, Father. The message of transformation by the cross. 
Not by condemnation, not by shame, but by utter love and mercy. By grace, Father, that you're beginning to transform a people to sustain a move of God. Transforming a people to not just to sustain an outer move of God, but to sustain an inner move, move of God that would bring peace beyond understanding. Trust like we've never seen before. And joy, uns joy unspeakable, Father. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.